Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline, he'll want to talk about Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, along with the Colts and the Pacers lottery and blowing stuff up and rebooting stuff and not starting Anthony Richardson until week 17. Let's welcome in Bob Kravitz. Hello, Bob. How are you? What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding, my friend? <laughs> I am just what they call setting the table for the interview right here. How'd I do? There you go. Well done. Well done. You've done radio. I got before. it all. Ah, uh, got it all. Got it all in there. Um, all right, I want to start. We know the Pacers will select seventh. Nothing changed. They got a better second rounder. That did change. And all that's great. We know that we've talked about assets until we're, we're basically blue in the face. Uh, they have certainly assets. What do you think they're going to end up doing as far as not number seven overall, but with those draft options that they have with those picks? Will it be to get back into the draft, to get another young player, or would you see them going after an already established player of some kind that they feel might fit the mix here? Well, I don't see a lot in the way of free uh, agents. I mean, Dylan Brooks is about the most, almost maybe the best free agent out there. So I don't see them doing a hell of a lot in free agency just because there's not a lot to choose from. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think they're going to find their power forward of the future here, whether that's Cam Whitmore or uh, Drake Walker. Uh, we had a mock draft the other night. Uh, and uh, I picked Jerace Walker, uh, who, you know, might might not be there at seven. There are a lot of people who think he might be gone in the top five. We'll see. But clearly they need to get – they need to improve defensively and in rebounding. Their defensive rebounding percentage is the lowest in the league, and they've got to get better. Uh, Miles, for all the good things he does, is not a great rebounder or a dominant rebounder, but you know, in any stretch of the word. So, um, I think they'll go in that direction. They'll they'll go for a power forward of some sort. I I thought that they they would want more if they can find it or they have their eyes on somebody, Bob, with that seven, somebody that. Not ready made to play D because who is going, you know, collegiately to the NBA, but somebody that maybe has adapted already to a higher level of defensive play um, and could be expected to go in and maybe occasionally stay in front of the man. Because to me, that is the top of the heap as far as necessity is concerned. I want them to be able to score, but they can. What they can't do is stop anybody, especially out front. You've got to find somebody that is more than willing to do so and, and can also adapt to become better at it as well. That's exactly right. I mean, they, you know, you've, you've got an elite defensive center, and yet you still can't stop anybody. And I think that, I think that the guys who are returning have to make uh, a concerted effort to be better defensively. Um, you know, uh, uh, Dan Burke's available, just that I throw that one out there, although I love yeah. Ronald Norred. But, 
But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they've got to improve defensively. Uh, there's no question. I mean, you don't have to be an elite defensive team to, to go deep in the playoffs, but it sure as hell doesn't hurt. Sure as hell does not hurt. And you look at the Miami Heat, you know, they're not doing it with a bunch of high first-round picks. They're, they had three guys who were undrafted free agents score 15 or more points the other night in game one against Boston. So that speaks to coaching right there and, and you know, the culture that the Miami Heat have. I just think they need a, to have more of a defensive posture next year, and they need to be better on the, on the boards. To Bob Kravitz of The Athletic, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How active do you expect them to be? As we get closer and closer after the NBA Finals, for example, and then, you know, into the summer, into July. What's that? Okay, I lost you there for a second. I think I went through a dead spot. But, so, look, they've got 20, 25 million. I forget the the total. They've got a lot of money uh, under the cap. The problem, again, is there's not a ton of guys out there who are, uh, you know, guys that you, you're ready to overpay for. Um, so I think they'll continue to, to go. Young. One thing you got to look out for is in the draft, because they have seventh pick, I believe 26, 28, and 22. I think they're going to look really long and hard about moving up, whether that's with Portland. The Portland desperately wants to surround Damian Lillard uh, with established players, um, you know, would that mean moving a Duarte? Would that mean moving a, um, a Miles, of all people? Um, maybe. But I think they're going to work really hard to get in that top top three or four, whether it's, you know, with Portland or maybe the Houston Rockets. I think they've got, as Kevin Pritchard likes to use the term, optionality. I think Bob just disappeared right there. No, Bob, you disappeared for a moment. All right, go ahead. Rejoin us. Oh, I'm back. I'm back. No, I just, I think, I think that that they've got a lot of options, but, you know, I I just don't see free agency being a, I mean, it's never been a major deal around here. Now, will more players want to come here to play with, uh, with Tyrese? Yeah, that's possible, but you're still not going to get, any elite guys, not that there are any elite guys out there. They've just got to bolster the defense. People forget they were 23-18 and 18 on January 11th, and then Tyrese got hurt, and the whole thing went in the dumper. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think maybe move up the draft. I think they've got, enough. they've got a chance to be in the playoffs. Bob Kravitz of The Athletic via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pylon. We may have to have you grab some aluminum foil and hold on to it when you talk next time. I want to make sure we get get all your words out there. Uh, Because I'm going to ask you this. You brought up Miles, and, like, nothing surprises me. Do I think they'll shop and trade him? No, but nothing surprises me anymore. Do you think that's something that they would actively do, or would they just do it given a presentation from another team, or think about it given a presentation from another team? Well, look, I don't think they're going to shop them, but I think in the course of conversations, you know, if you're 
if you're Portland, and I, and I don't know their center situation off the top of my head. I apologize for that. But, you know, they've – they, they've got they've got options with with Miles. He's, uh, he's under a really good contract, and what that does is it makes him even more tradable. And Portland's going to want more than your than the seven, the twenty six, and maybe Chris Duarte. They're going to want somebody who can help Damian Lillard now. And I think the one guy you'd be ready to you'd be willing to move. You know, I don't think they'd want Buddy Heald because Buddy's making a lot of money, and he's a little bit older player. I, I think he's very valuable here. But, yeah, I think in the course of conversation, you know, maybe you don't shop him, but certainly his name is going to come up in conversation. Again, you know, I don't want some, you know, blog saying, you know, there's these rumors out there. There are no rumors out there. I'm just kind of, you know, throwing stuff against the wall, uh, which is what I do for a living. Well, I don't know because he he signed, you know, the Pacers had him to that, that offer sheet and then you know, it was matched by Phoenix last summer and DeAndre Ayton. I, I don't know, you know, what they can do. I don't know his his financial situation. But at least on the surface, even without knowing any of that, I would assume if Phoenix wanted to dump him or get rid of him and try to bring somebody else in, that the team that had interest and showed all that interest in him last July, last July might be at the top of that list if they can work that yeah. or if that would work. Well, if, you, if they do decide to move Miles, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know all the, the, uh, the X's and O's of his financial situation. Uh, clearly, he's unhappy in Phoenix. Clearly, Phoenix is unhappy with him. Um, I think he's a hell – I still think he's a very – Good player, but I think he's kind of gotten gotten lost in the shuffle in Phoenix, where he's really a fourth option at best. And no doubt about that. I, I I told Chad Buchanan, I said, "Man, are you glad? You glad that Phoenix matched?" And of course, he's going to say yes because they now have Miles. But honestly, I don't want Miles dealt, and I sure as hell don't want him dealt at all. If you can even do that for DeAndre Ayton. Um, but I will say this, that a lot of guys would love to play, and you mentioned this earlier, Tyrese Halliburton, he does make guys better. I watched him make Miles better. I thought, obviously, getting rid of Sabonis to a different team, Miles by himself, Miles coming off a high ball screen action, being able to dive and rim run often, it made him a much better player, a much more complete player, especially offensively. Halliburton just does that with dudes. He'd probably do that with Ayton as well. Yeah, you could put me at the two guard, and then I probably no, I, that's not true. Uh, he, he he's a wonderful player, and now will guys come here because they want to play with him? I, I don't know. I I think that might be a, a, a factor if a guy is thinking, well, do I want to go to X, Y, or Z? Um, I think the, the bottom line is cash. You know, get in the bag, and that that's that's what really matters. And right now. The Pacers are one of the very few teams who are under the salary cap. They can make uneven trades. There are going to be teams looking to get off salary. So, I mean, there's a lot of – I think that trades in the draft are the only real ways they can make a difference for next year. I don't think free agency uh, – it, it has never been a game changer for the Pacers except for David West, and I don't see it being a game changer next year. 
So Bob Kravitz of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. You mentioned this kind of in jest, and you mentioned you like Ronald Norad. I think we all like Ron Norad. But having Dan Burke floating around out there giving his defensive coaching prowess and the lack thereof of this group, uh, there's no way that you could try to couple each together here in, in some capacity defensively because clearly that was the largest of the shortcomings of this group, especially late in the season. There's no way to weave that together whatsoever, correct? Yeah, Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. Dan, Dan and Rick worked together before, have they not? I think I, I'm pretty sure they did. I sense. thought so, yeah. I um, thought so. Yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan was here for 150 years. So, um, yeah, I'll look, I don't want to get anybody fired or, or anything. But, I mean, you know, and, and again, I don't know what Dan Burke's situation is going to be with the new head coach in Philadelphia, whoever they decide to uh, to get. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that's a, that's a lot of brain power, man. He's a, he's a hell of a defensive coach, and he was for he has been for a very long time. See, the reason why, and you bring up brain power, I, I think the more the merrier here because, Bob, honestly, I don't know how much better some of these guys that we're talking about on this Pacer roster can be defensively. Maybe they're not completely capped out, and, but I don't know how much better they can honestly get. I think Tyrese can get better. Uh, Buddy Hill can certainly get better. Uh, I, I think Buddy Hill can get better defensively. Side. Yeah, I well, I like I love him as a three point I mean, shooter. I don't think he can guard you. Yeah, I know, and that's that's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't know. At his at his this point in his career, uh, but you know, I mean, I I honestly think he's going to be in a different role next year. I would bet you that Matherin is starting, and that Buddy's going to be the sixth man off the bench. Um, so, uh, but yeah, defensively. He needs to get better. Whether he can at this point in his career, that, that's an open question. Hey, Bob, I've said this too. I want them to hang on to both Buddy Heald and T.J. McConnell. I think, and I'm not just talking about T.J. McConnell, gritty and gutty coming off the bench with energy. I just think we have seen when they play their best, they both are essential pieces to this team and this team's growth. You feel the same way? I do. I, I think TJ TJ O'Connell, O'Connell McConnell is uh, is. I mean, he he he's like Lance in the sense that as soon as he comes on the floor, there's just this infusion of energy, and I I, I think you need that veteran around who's who's been through the wars and understands his role, accepts his role. He's a great uh, guy for the city. I know that he absolutely loves it here. It's home. So, yeah, I'd love to see them keep him. Absolutely. So, Bob Kravitz from the Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What will tell you, is there a signature moment in this offseason working up to the start of the season where you will believe and be okay with Anthony Richardson starting in week one? Or do you think that's a, a far-fetched pipe dream? A guy that played 13 games collegially is going to be ready in that short of time. Well, look, you know, if they get, I don't have a problem with him starting in week one. Don't get, get that wrong. I'm just saying, if you if don't think he's, he's got a complete grasp of the offense, 
and he's not ready, you're doing a disservice to this player and to his and you're hurting his future potentially if you throw him out there to appease media and the fans. And that makes no sense to me. Put him in there when he's good and damn ready, uh, and go from there. I, I I'm a big Gardner Minshew guy. I, I think I think this guy can play. He started a lot of games. Um, look, next year is not about wins and losses. And I know, having said that, you know the the retort will be, "Well, then play Anthony Richardson." No, I too many quarterbacks, or there's been a number of quarterbacks who've been thrown out there too early, have gotten their brains beat in. And remember, this is an offensive line that gave up 60 sacks last year. Uh, there, I mean, that's not going to happen necessarily with Richardson because he can move and Matt Ryan couldn't, and Nick Foles. But I, I just think you have to be really careful with a guy who started 13 uh, college football games. It's just, you know, I mean, somebody wrote to me the other day, said, well, Peyton played his first year, and he, he came out of it fine. Yeah, he played 45 games uh, in college at University of Tennessee. This kid has played 13. There, there's very – I don't know that there's anybody – you can compare him with in terms of lack of uh, lack of experience, game day experience. So I, I just think they need to be extraordinarily careful about this. It's uh, Bob Kravitz of the athletic with us. They seem to think that just the basic reworking or, you know, re-guidance, if you will, of Tony Sperano Jr. Uh, that of a new quarterback, new offensive philosophy altogether with, what you see in, in Shane Steichen is going to be a changeover, a cure for an offensive line that was pretty bad a year ago. Are they thinking about this in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, first of all, they've got to, they've got to feel that way. Um, you know, I mean, I, coaching clearly was an issue. Uh, I think some of the blame, a lot of the blame goes on Chris Ballard. He went into the season – with uh, no real left tackle options and no right guard options. So I would assume that in free agency somewhere, they're going to pick themselves up a right guard. But, yeah, it's, they, they, I think they're going to have a nice bounce-back season. You have a healthy Jonathan Taylor, presumably. you got a quarterback who can run a little bit. Even if it's Minshew, he can move a little bit. I mean, hell, I can move more than Matt Ryan could. So – no, that's not true either, but you get the point. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I, I guess I'll have to believe it again when I, I see it. I, I still think that there are yeah, ample too. questions about this. Yeah, that's That concerns me a little bit because I, I think right now with Ryman, for example, um, it's more we hope he's going to be okay and be that guy than we absolutely believe in it. And, man – that's a tough position to go in with that train of thought. Yeah, but, you, you know, you go back to Anthony Costanzo, who was, you know, a first-rounder, and he gave up – now, he played virtually every game, if, uh, if memory serves. He gave up six sacks uh, his rookie year. Uh, he, the uh, pro football focus numbers were not good. Um, he really struggled. Of course, the whole team struggled. They were 2-14 and 14 without Peyton in Costanzo's rookie year. Now, Ryman played much better in the second half of the year, and I honestly think that he's going to be just fine going into his second season. And 
you know, playing from here on out. I, I really, I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I you, you don't know for sure, but do you know for sure about any of these guys? Braden Smith was not great last year. Quentin Nelson had his issues, and certainly Ryan Kelly was not the same player. All those guys got paid, and none of them played up to standard. Now, part of that was the offense. Part of that was you had uh, a quarterbacks who, who couldn't move. Um, so, I mean, that, that all rolls into it. But, uh, I, I, you know, they need to be better this year or there are going to be some serious changes. Yeah, I just um, – a lot of crossing your fingers right there and hoping that uh, coaching philosophies and uh, right. having a quarterback that's more mobile and stronger arm and all that stuff makes this group – look a hell of a lot better, too. And then, of course, you know, you, you think about that running game, Bob. That running game with a healthy is what you hope with Jonathan Taylor that that obviously had a, a great effect um, with that offensive line just overall was a mess a year ago. I, I don't know. That That's the one thing at the top of the list for me, Bob, going into this year outside of Anthony Richardson that to me is the most important to watch is if what they believe is true about this group, if that's going to happen, because if it doesn't, that's disastrous. Yeah, well, what's going to be interesting now is whether they extend, uh, you know, whether they extend uh, Taylor. You know, yeah. I mean, the the history of second contracts to running backs, no matter how good they are, is not good. I mean, I you know, I don't know if everybody's scared off by Ezekiel Elliott, but you know, running backs just don't have much staying power, and you know. Uh, I mean, you look at Marlon Mack. I mean, we thought Marlon Mack was going to be the guy for a long time, and then he wasn't. So uh, that's going to be a really big story coming up here uh, in the next couple of months. So Bob Kravitz of the Athletic Keys with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Bob, it's always a pleasure. I'm assuming at some point I'll see you out at the uh, at the Speedway, right? You going out this weekend? Yes, and I will be out there this weekend. We will uh, touch base and have a cold beer. You got it, buddy. Appreciate you, Bob. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Pipeline. He's from CBS4 and Fox 59 from Beach Grove, Indiana. It is our good friend Mike Chappell. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am absolutely fantastic. I don't know where we start other than this. I was looking at the schedule. I get a lot of people when that thing popped. You probably did too. That said, hey, this is a really boring schedule. Or went meh or blah or whatever. I described it, Mike, as being conducive for a team that maybe ordinarily with a tougher schedule schedule wouldn't be to be competitive, especially with a incredibly young, inexperienced quarterback. Is that how you view that too? Well, it's a blast schedule because it's who you play. I mean, it's you know, it's it's just kind of there's no. But I, it makes them more competitive the way that they look right now and what they're trying to oh. do right now, especially at the quarterback position. That blast schedule. If, 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 if the quarter if the quarterback can do his job, whatever we want to say that is, this team should be competitive. It just should, you know, and maybe maybe we'll find out in 
October that we're a bunch of idiots and this team is really bad. I don't think it's that bad. They've got some good parts. But the quarterback has to work. He's got, whether it's Minshew, whether it's Richardson, he's got to do his job. And this is just, this is, you know, what they get the fourth easiest schedule in the league based on last year because you got the AFC South and you're playing the NFC South. And a lot of those teams are, are in rebuild mode. You know, Tampa, teams like that. So, but but I think if you're if you're if things are working, there's no reason you shouldn't be competitive, win some games, and not. I'm not saying compete for the AFC South. I'm not there yet. You know, I've been I've been caught doing that the last few years. They got to they got to they got to sort of win me back over. But uh, this is not a brutal schedule. It just isn't. And if they can get decent play from quarterback, they should be not too bad, if that's a backhanded compliment. Yeah, it's uh, Mike Chappell. You know, it's not because I think that that is the expectation. And it's funny, I was talking to Bob a little bit earlier, and part of this, Mike, as well, is – you know, you're, you're counting on the quarterback and really both. But I'm going to concentrate on Richardson because that's who I want to see play. But you sure. could add in Minshew as well. You're counting on the quarterback. And I was talking to Bob about this, making this offensive line better. There's not a great deal of reason to believe in it other than a change in positional coach, a change in head coach, and a change in quarterback. Because basically, other than right guard, everybody's coming back the same. Yeah, it's really hard to stand there and re- and remember how last year was and say this line's going to be better because of and the because of is Tony Soprano Jr. Yeah, and that, to me that's a big leap. It, it just is. It I, is. We they, they could bring you know the late Howard Buck to be the coach, and I think you know you still you still need players. You just do now. He he was really good about making players work but but he still had always had the he always had the book in tackles always had book in tackles and then Jeff Saturday you know once he settled in what was a, 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 a an all pro pro bowl center and then you found guards and you found some really good ones but I just I, I'm really surprised we've talked about this I'm just surprised that they've not done anything other than adding two draft picks, one in the fourth round, to the offensive line. I, I don't get it. And maybe they've got somebody lined up, a veteran, that in a few weeks they'll sign, you know, the the, the, the Chris Reed, Mark Lewinsky type guy. But right now, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Especially when you've got a, a either a rookie quarterback or a new quarterback after the way Protection and, and let's let's keep in mind the protection last year was everybody, the tight ends. Jonathan Taylor had a very subpar year, and that's being generous protecting the quarterback. So it was a collective effort, but it still starts up front. And I, they're just once again they're they're, they're banking on Bernard Ryman, like they had with Matt Pryor and like they did with Eric Fisher, and at right guard I assume it's Will Fry's I just I'm surprised that this is how they've done it and we'll see if it works or whether or whether it doesn't and if it doesn't it doesn't matter who the quarterback is 
All right, we thought this all along, and then I saw this uh, on social media earlier in the week about how the Colts intend really to lean a great deal on Jelani Woods in year number two. How differently, and I know there's not a great deal of a sketch out there because it was a rookie season and it was discombobulated at best for him and all of his teammates. How would you expect, though, with this Shane Steichen offense, he's going to be utilized to the best of his ability in his second year in the NFL? I'm, I'm kind of guessing that you know, we, we were talking, we talked to Reggie Wayne yesterday about the receivers and Josh Downs, and he really thinks the kid can be special as that third receiver. But don't you think they're going to go more two tight ends a lot and and accentuate the running the running game with JT and with the, with Richardson and and a couple of tight ends have got to step up. Mo Ali Cox has kind of been the most reliable blocker, and, and even he's been up and down with that. Tylen Grandson, you just, uh, you see some things, and then you don't see anything special. Jelani Woods showed you some special things, but uh, I, I guess I default to the fact that the passing game was so bad last year, you know, starting with the, the protection. I don't know how you really evaluate I don't know how Steichen goes in there and says, yeah, I, th- this is what I see from this, the receivers and, and from the tight ends, because there was just, there was, it was so hard to find any continuity, protection, you know, and, you know, the, the receivers, the, 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 all the receivers average less than 10 yards a catch, which is ridiculous in today's NFL. But I thought Giovanni Woods showed some really positive moments, and maybe he's that down the field guy. Uh, because he sure showed that. It's a really interesting tight end room, and they're, they're probably six deep, and they're going to let a couple of, uh, uh, of interesting tight ends go on final cuts. But I think Jelani Wood showed last year that he's a real deal, and with, with, with a better offense and a better passing game and better everything on offense, he's got a chance to be pretty good. This may be a dumb question, and I was going to, again, play off of something Bob no said. It's, I found that out. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not, yeah, I know there's not, especially here in the 5 o'clock hour with me. <laughs> so Mike Chapel of CBS 4 and Fox 59 is on the Andy Moore <clears throat> Automotive Group hotline. Um, do you think that – because Ballard has said this, he said this to me, that their intentions are being all in in an extension in the future of Jonathan Taylor. Do we still buy that right now? Is there a chance that they bail on that, or is that still their intention of moving forward and paying the running back and extending him out? I think that's still the plan. I know – I don't think that uh, the GM has wavered. I know the owner hasn't. The owner thinks Taylor's really special. The problem is that he's arguably your best player – Yet he's, but he's a running back, and we just know the lifespan is the career, you know, arc of a running back, and it's limited. So, but I still think it makes sense to give him something that works for him and the team. You know, the three-year variety, to where you know after three years you can reassess, but you can really pay him, you know, well because he's earned it. You know, he went through a lot of stuff last year, the injuries and. The, the, the very inconsistent run blocking. So I think I think it happens. I'm probably more interested in, in whether Pittman gets an extension. Uh, 
just because you're talking more money, you're talking a bigger contract for the receiver than you are the running back. And that's, again, as we've talked, you know, to we're blue in the face, that's not been a position that financially they've invested in. You know, yes, they've done first round or second round picks with these guys, third round pick with downs, but, but they've not, free agent wise, they've not gone head over heels with a guy, which, and you can argue whether that's right or wrong. I don't think it's right. But I, I, I'm really more curious whether they get Pittman done. Can they get them both done? I don't know. But I do think Taylor gets one. I, I saw Stephen Holder had that he's, he's getting a new agent, which can mean different things, but that might delay things a little. I don't know. But to me, the, the market's pretty well set on, on Taylor, what he's going to get. A lot of it will be how much of it's guaranteed. If I'm a player, I don't care how long it is. I don't care how big it is. Just how much is my guarantee? But I do think he gets done. I just do. So it would be more about money in terms of Michael Pittman Jr. I, I just think, I think at this point, both, if you decide to punt on either one, it would be a massive disappointment around here. I, and, and with what you're saying with Pittman is true, and I know what everybody else says, well, he's really a number two and not a number one. Right. But he's the best that this team has right now. Does he need to show something this year? To justify that, solidify well, that, or well, yeah, but I mean, I, I thought he played decent last year. I mean, he had 99 catches, it, but it, he he was a function of, of the dysfunctional passing game. It's really, really, really hard to catch 99 balls and not get a thousand yards. I mean, it, it's been done like two or three times in league history. It's really hard to do, especially when you're a receiver. So, so yeah, I think so, but but. What you mentioned, and we've talked, and I've talked to Rick Venturi about, is the perception: is he a one? Yes, he's their best, but is he a one? Uh, is is he sort of a, you know, the the one B that you'd love to have have somebody be the real stud guy and him be the sidekick? I don't know. Uh, so, but but again, I think he's really good. I think he was he he was really crippled last year by the by the passing game. So the team, it's going to be one of those where, but again, they're not going to give him $25 million a year. I just can't see that. But how much, we're going to see how they value him, obviously, by by, what, by the size of the contract. Is it $18 million a year, $19 million? I don't know. I don't even know where you start. But if you're going to build this team around the young quarterback, and they are, they are, then doggone have, have, Strong supporting cast, similar similar to Peyton. Go back to when Peyton years, and so many p- top picks were offense, were skill players. You know, from from Reggie to, to Joe, Reggie Edgerin, Joe died, Dallas Clark, even uh, Gonzo. So that's what you want to do. But the problem is, what then when you draft them, it, then it, it's incumbent to keep them if, if they merit it. And, and the Colts in the Manning years were really, really good about re-upping their guys, well, because they earned it. And how they look internally, and you get a, again, you got a new set of eyes with, with the new head coach. How do they how do they view Michael Pittman? I think we've seen, I thought like two years ago, he was really good down the field, was really an effective, and last year they just couldn't get the ball down the field. 
but he's he's by far the best you've got. And, and if you don't extend him, then here you are next year. Instead of maybe addressing the offensive line or a pass rusher in the draft, you're, you're looking for a, a top receiver. And it's just when you got one, you got to keep him. But you got to make sure you're keeping the right people. And that's why it's really I'd love to know internally how they view Michael Pittman as far as top 10 in the league, top 15. Do you think he's a one? Do you think he's a two? Those are tough questions, and, and it's really hard to answer. Is part of your skepticism about what they may think about Pittman Jr., is it regarding what we all know Chris Ballard normally puts stock into that particular position? Yeah, sort of how you value it. And, and again, we, we disagree. But, you and I agree. Yeah, and you know what? But his 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 value of that position has been 100% inaccurate. I mean, don't you by now make an adjustment there? Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you would. And, and to me, the fact that you're, you've got the young quarterback should cause you to readjust things. But again, it, 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 if he and the the staff are just convinced to their core that that Pittman's a really good player, but he's not a $20 million a year player, then, then, then you don't go against what you've done or you stick with what you've done. But I, I don't know. Again, it's really interesting. Like, like it's, 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 it's important to – it was important to bring in a new set of eyes for the offensive line, which they did with Sperano, because this line's been in decline for two or three years. And now you've got a head coach who brings in a new perception and new ideas and, and new evaluations of this talent. And he may think, yeah, Pittman's really pretty good. You guys didn't use him right or couldn't use him right. Or now he's just a guy. And if he's just a guy, then you don't give him a massive contract. But if you think he's, if, if you think he's a cut above, then you pay him because it, it's just hard to get those guys. That's why it's so crazy where – a team gets A.J. Brown or they get Marquise Brown, and, and they let them go. They, they trade them. And, and it, maybe it works out for them. I don't know, but it, it's, it's, it's harder to get top-level talent than people think. And when you get them, if they're close to what you think they are, boy, you've got to keep them. You know, it's funny about that, too. You gave great examples of what really foobarred a couple of organizations. Sure. With what got – got a general manager fired and won and, you know, got crossways with their self-rep quarterback in the other and made a huge soap opera out of that. Those two things alone should show you that if you don't believe in where this is now at the skill position of wide receiver and how much, how much you should put into that over other aspects, I don't know, I guess, what would ever sell you. I don't know if I've asked you this question or not. Uh, it, it has occurred to me, though, and I, maybe I've forgotten in the past. Mike Chapel joins us now. Would you think the Colts would have drafted Anthony Richardson number four overall? Let's just say they're still you know, in the similar situation, 4-12-1, uh, number four overall drafting. Would they have drafted Richardson if Shane Steichen were not their head coach? Yeah, I guess it would depend on who the guy was. Uh, it, it had to. It had to have been an offensive guy. It just had to. It, it, it had to. So pr- probably, I, I mean, probably because 
yeah, you, you talk to them and, and you talk to anybody, and the ceiling is so high on these guys. And and what what you don't want to be is a team that passed on that generational talent. And, and maybe he does, you know, solve all the you know. The, of course, the experience will come with time, but the the completion percentage and all that, he'll get that straightened out with good coaching. Yeah, probably, probably so. Now. I guess there's a possibility if there was a different coach here, maybe they would have been more aggressive moving up to one, although probably not. No, they, they probably would have taken Richardson because, again, I think I think they do see. I, I don't think this was Shane Steichen pounding the table and having right. to convince uh, the, the GM and the, and, and, the, and the owner that this is the guy and those guys were saying, well, I don't know. I, I think there was – Pretty universal belief in him. So no, I'm not sure a coaching change would have, or di- different would have mattered. I, I think well, this is a guy they would have hooked their future to. From from what I understand, that it was 110 percent Shane Steichen call there. So I and it should I, I just, have been. I, and it, yeah, and that's that's the way I think you and I both wanted it to be. But I. I'm just kind of curious because I don't think we really know. I mean, even when I talked to Chris, you guys talked to Chris going back to February, I, you really don't know until you actually see it in action whether or not the philosophies of Steichen and Ballard um, are close to the same or even in the same neighborhood at times. Because well, with what Steichen would value and what he has seen in the past would not seem to be conducive to what Ballard has from what we have seen in the past. Well, but but at, at some point they have to mesh. And if, and if that means the GM adjusting somewhat, then that's what you do or it's, or it's not going to work. If, if the GM and the head coach are just totally apart on either offensive approach or or, or, or position value, it's not going to work. It, it just isn't. So I, I just would think that if there was a difference, whether, you know, maybe it's hey, we, we need to be more aggressive on receivers. You know, I don't know. Uh, they're going to they're gonna run the heck out of the ball. So, so maybe receiver isn't quite isn't quite as important as with a pure passing game. But uh, I, I, I do think that Steichen has a say in this. He's got to because, again, if if the GM and the head coach were not pretty close to being on the same in the same page it's not going to work and that's why they had to be really really agreeable and there had to be a consensus on the quarterback and you can't be this 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 couldn't have been frank reich really really lobbying for carson wentz it it couldn't that couldn't be it had to be everybody on 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 point and i really think maybe you know at some point what was it that ballard told us a month before the, the draft they knew that Richard was a guy. Uh, it, it had to be almost universal that that's who the guy was, or this isn't going to work. Yeah, yeah, yep. It's Mike Chapel with us. So, so if Michael Pittman Jr. were maybe for a moment to maybe put defensive tackle next to his, his position, right? Then maybe he would get paid. They'd pay him for that. Right? Defensive and uh, uh, left guard. <laughs> you know. One, one so, of these days, yeah. it'll all stop. Now, with, with Chris in mind, it's going, to take, it's going to take some winning and putting to bed some of the, uh, the years of the past. But one of these days, just, with some success, this will all stop. 
So. It's just that the way that they've got the roster built now, the offense built now, this is how you know, we can argue whether the players are the right ones. But this receiver group, it's young. It, it's a young group. And keep them together and and, and let them grow together with, with, with the young quarterback. And you got the, still the young running back and yeah. young tight ends and all that. So it worked. It really works. But but you got to put your money where your you got to put the owner's money where your mouth is, and and that's where to me again it's it, it's not that Pittman doesn't deserve a good contract. The question is what's good, what's good enough, and and that's where there needs to be a meeting in the minds internally about how do we value him and 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 how much is enough, how much is too much, and you know that's and we're going to see how Michael Pittman values himself also as far as what can he get maybe on the market next year so his is really interesting for all the things all the reasons we've talked about it's uh mike chapel of cbs4 and fox 59 on the andy moore automotive group hotline uh more all summer to talk about that stuff again which is uh not bad not bad at all mike i appreciate you i I missed the kravitz segment he's all about not starting the young kid is that what he yeah, well, I mean, he rephrased it. I kind of made it sound like regardless, but he rephrased it as saying if he's not ready. And my my retort to that was I think it would be worse if he's not ready. You know what I mean? It just – that is going to be something – like I don't want to have to take calls the week leading up to week number one if the reason why he's not starting in week one, that he's not ready. If he's not so. ready for whatever reason, how do they get him ready – over the first month yeah. of the season which exactly. when, they're, when they're having to play and practice Minshew to get ready for the next game. That's what's going to be yeah. hard. Is if he's not ready, how do you get him yep. ready? It's, I think it's much easier to explain to put him out there that and he's ready and he makes mistakes. That's easier to, easier to explain than, hey, he's not ready. But, yeah, we're going to go ahead and get him ready during the season. I'd agree with you. A, a, a couple of numbers to keep in mind. Peyton Manning's first four games – 54, 54% completion percentage, 11 interceptions, three touchdowns, and a 51.4 rating. So, you know, sometimes you just got to suck it up and, and deal with it. But Manning was different. We'll see how they – I'm really curious how they approach the season because kids got to play, but he's got to be semi-ready too. Mike, I appreciate you. We'll talk at you again next week. Sounds good. Thanks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from The Athletic, much like George and Wheezy, he is moving on up. The Athletic, national feature writer now friend of the show, Zach Kiefer, joins us. Congratulations, Zach. Thank you, sir. And I I think you're dating me with the, I think that's a a Jefferson's reference. Was the, (laughs) wait a minute. You didn't really know. Yeah. You knew George and Wheezy, right? You knew it. No, man. I'm, I'm not as old as you think. Man. See, I just consider this because the world, for example, like things that were done, you know, 35, 40 years ago or so now easily consumed, whether it's movie, TV, or music, 
I just really assume now everybody knows everything. Am I wrong? Yes, and, and this is the thing. And, and I've, I've never felt older than when I teach my class in Bloomington in the spring. And I'll mention things that are such common knowledge for me, like mid to late 90s things, and they have no idea. Like, they've never even heard of that. And I'm like, wait, you guys weren't born until 2001. So it, it goes around. It comes around, and it hits all of us. But, uh, but thank you for the kind words. Yeah, no, congratulations on the gig, man. You've always been good to us, and we'll continue to have you on. Now, the national feature writing, you will still occasionally do the cult stuff, but you've got to go out there and find stories, unearth these stories, and tell the world about them, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I kind of just simplify it like this. Like, go find the most interesting stories in the NFL and then tell them. And as we know, the interest in the NFL is immense, and there's so many great like people and stories behind the scenes that never get told. So it'll be kind of fun to branch out. It'll be a huge challenge to kind of get outside the Colts bubble a little bit. But, you know, the best part of all of this is my wife and I get to stay in Indy where we want to stay, where we love living, and, and our girls get to grow up here. So don't have to move and, and kind of get to branch out a little bit. I'm sure I'm sure I'll, I'll hop down to a Colts game or two this year because that team can't do boring if it tried. All right, I'm going to put this to you right now. If you were having to concoct to put together a feature on the NFL right now at this moment, what's the most interesting aspect as we sit here and converse together? I got a list of like 25 I'm going to get started on on Monday. I can't give those away, right? Um, I think that the commander cell is super fascinating. And all the digging that's been done, is just super interesting to me. Let me throw you a different story idea, and I want your honest opinion on this one. So next week is the race. I haven't covered it since the pandemic, um, but I got to thinking, like, I feel like when you cover it in the media room, it's quiet, a little stuffy. You watch it on a TV. You don't really get the feel for the 500, right? Everybody out there listening knows what the 500 is, and it's sitting in the stands, not the media center. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sit in turn one, and I'm going to watch like a fan, and I'm going to write about how different it's been because I haven't done that in like 15 years. So um, I'm just going to live it up next Sunday at the Indy 500, try to see how much I can write off of it, and, and then just and just go from there. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Nah, that's well done. Now, I would advise the snake pit, but you don't want to do that. You probably couldn't get much note-taking done there, could you? Can I still type if I'm like – 22 Miller lights in. I don't know. I've never tried before. <laughs> it's funny, what's funny, man. This was like maybe three years ago, I think. I can't remember. But Dead Mouse, Dead Mouse is a, an EDM guy, um, electronic dance music, not ele- erectile dysfunction, but no, EDM guy. <laughs> and uh, he was out at the snake pit, and it was like maybe 86, 87 degrees, and see these guys, these EDMers doing their mixes, they sound great, but they rely on their technology, their computers, their laptop, and his just completely melted down, and my man had nothing, zero, nothing going on. So, yeah, get out there. You might be able to take your laptop and fit right in. Do the 60 to 70,000 that are at that concert on Carb Day (laughs) Do they even know? Do they even know the, the music went out? The, the well, yeah, went out, and, and the, the, story, the story I have, I had Blake with me. And I said, Blake said, hey, let's walk in there and see what's up. And we walked to the gate, and some girl stumbled over right in front of us and just barfed all over 
the ground right Ooh. in front of us, and I said, there it is. <laughs> There's what you want to see. There's what we're going to see if we you. get in there. Yeah. Some of my favorite memories, um, let's say for my early 20s, is, is going to the Coke lot the night before and spending the night with some friends and just tailgating yeah. for an obscene amount of time. But that's the way you do it, man. You wake up, you're across the street from the track, you've got a cooler, you hopefully can find some food, one of those chicken legs or something. That's, that's the 500. And when you start covering the race, which I love doing because I love covering the stories and the people and the racers and the drivers and all that, you get away from that. So I'm not going to be staying the night in the Coke lot because I'm way too old for that. But um, I'm going to try and get back to the essence of the 500. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Zach Key from The Athletic, a national NFL feature writer now, joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Here's one for you, and maybe it's not ready to write or even close to being printed. But I think I brought this up to you before. Um, in terms of the loudest voice of ownership right now in the NFL, who is it? And then answer this. How badly does Jim Irsay want to be that voice or the loudest voice among the owners in the NFL moving forward? Because I've suggested this before. I think that's exactly the position that he does covet. Where is he in that hierarchy and who is it right now in your estimation? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think it's a complicated answer. The answer is Jerry Jones. Um, he's the boss, even more so than Goodell in a lot of situations. I think quietly Bob Kraft has a huge say, and his work and his winning and his infrastructure that he's built in, in Boston and Foxborough speaks to that. Um, I don't think Ursay's in the top five in terms of loudest influential Um I don't know if that's a goal of his. He always talks about being an owner in terms of being a steward. Like he wants to just continue the brand. And, and these are things that are really important to him, like the NFL and like the history and precedent and all that stuff's really important. So he certainly has a loud voice. I think what you're getting at is who's the one that's going to say what the others are not willing to do. And he's absolutely the leading candidate for that. We saw that already. He said, about Daniel Snyder a couple of months ago, what everyone needed to say and what, frankly, what none of the others had the guts to say. Like, this guy needed to get out. Someone needed to say that, and someone with a lot of power, and by that I mean a vote in the room. It doesn't sound like they're going to vote this week at the owners' meetings in, in Minnesota, but that's, it's, it's a formality at this point. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see over the next couple of years because when you talk to Jim Mercy about what matters to him – he talks about the guys he grew up admiring, George Hallis and all those guys that were at his first communion. Um, and then this was a poignant moment in Arizona a couple of weeks ago at the owners' meetings. An NFL executive turned to him and said, Jim, you're the last guy standing from that picture that's on the wall right there from 1989. Now, there's a couple owners yeah. older than him, but they couldn't make the trip. So um, he cares about that. And, and I think his, his voice on certain matters is right up there at the top in terms of weight because he'll say what he thinks, and a lot of them won't. See, it's, it's funny. I, I think that that automatically, to me, vaults him near the top, not only near the top, but also wanting to be near the top or at the top when he's willing to come out and say what he came out to say and also knowing that he's going to take a little bit of heat because people obviously are going to go back to what has happened, what's transpired with him in the past before. I, I just think that that shows all the signs 
of wanting to be that leader. And you also talk about, you know, him coveting, you know, the George Hallises of the former NFL world as owners and being a steward of the NFL. I think that's important to him. And I do think that's what he wants to do in the future. Or maybe better said, maybe he's not completely working on it, but I don't think he would mind being recognized as such further down the road. Yeah, no, that would mean the world to him. Because if you go back, where did he come from, right? He grew up in this game, learning from maybe the worst owner in league history until Daniel Snyder. I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, I've had a lot of long conversations with Jim about this, and and he, he has said in his own words that his dad didn't know anything about football. And, and Bob Ursay's famous quote was, you know, how much do you know about football? And he said, just enough to be dangerous. And for those like yourself that go back far enough to remember those days, um, it, I don't need to say anything else. I don't need to say anything else. And, and I'll say this. People ask me about Jim Mercer all the time. What's he like? And if you read the headlines, you don't know the man. Now, we have not agreed on everything. I can tell you that. He has not liked everything I've written. I can tell you that, and he's letting me know that. But in terms of a reporter's perspective, Jim is accountable. He's honest with you. He'll let you know what he thinks, which is really all we ask. I certainly haven't agreed with everything he's done, going back to last season especially. But to be honest, I mean, he, he never calls you out and says that, your opinion is wrong. I mean, he, he likes the interest. He's fair. He's as as accessible as any owner out there from a local media perspective. I mean, the fact that we get an hour with him at every owner's meetings and we talk to him at training camp, at the draft, I mean, he's there. And, and for the fan base, they know where he stands. Now, he keeps saying he wants those multiple Lombardis, and I'm sure some of the fans are cringing because, like, maybe just make the playoffs first. But at least you know where the guy stands, and he's not hiding. And a couple of them do that, and that would drive me crazy if I was a fan. Yeah, or maybe not be a complete disaster like it was last year, too. Don't be that. That's the other thing as well. Don't ever uh, Zach do that Kiefer. again. No, Zach Kiefer, the athletic, soon-to-be national feature NFL writer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Um, you've been a great friend of the show, and here's – having you continue to be a good friend of the show, talking NFL and Colts and stuff, Zach. Congratulations on the gig, and uh, we'll stay in touch. You know that. As, as always. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on, and, and don't be a stranger, and, and hope to run into you soon.